This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Today, the title of my message is, It's Not About You, It's Up To You. It's not about you, it's up to you. And uh, the subtitle would be, When You Think and Act for Others, That's When God Begins to Move. You know, we live in a very selfish world where a lot of people only think about what's in it for me. In fact, somebody told me that's the African handshake. It's what's in it for me. And the fact of the matter is we've seen that play out throughout the continent of Africa. It's not about what's in it for the nation or what's in it for the betterment of our societies, but it's what's in it for those that get into power. And that attitude, that grasping attitude has always been the demise of whoever has it. God hates greed. It's not the best attribute in a society, selfishness. Those are not the attributes that build great families. They're not the great attributes of great churches. They're not the great attributes of great organizations. But it seems those organizations, those churches, those people, those societies that can be more outward looking, even individuals that can be more concerned of others, seem to have a better quality of life than those who are selfish. Now we live in the selfish era. Uh, You can notice that by how many times you take your picture for a selfie. But we know we live in that era. But throughout the scriptures, we see references made to God operating in the scope of history, in the lives of people, and working great miracles when he could find a person or he could find people that would get out of themselves and really trust him. Our daily reading for this week has been the story of Esther. The story of Esther, or her Hebrew name is Hadessa. And as I was reading through that, I thought, you know, there's no greater story for the situation we find ourselves in right now than her story. There's probably no greater message I could bring than to just simply read those verses of Scripture and break them down for us. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles. Does everybody have a real Bible? So take your Bibles, get your Bible out, and open to the book of Esther. Now you should know right where that is. It should open to that because all week long you've been reading there. And uh, yeah, I hear those holy murmurs. You know, we have a daily reading program because I, I, I know this. If you read the Bible, the Bible is not just a history book. Bible says the the word of God teaches that God's words are living. They're alive. And and there's more to them. God will speak to you through his word. His word is eternal. So we don't just read the Bible. We don't just read it as some kind of history book. We read it as though it is the word of God. That God's going to speak to us. And he does. You have a living spirit on the inside of you. And God wants to communicate to you, so he uses his word to communicate to you. 
So turn with me to the book of Esther, the first chapter. And uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in Esther, so just keep your Bible open. Get your pen out. You can write in your Bible. It's okay. And if you have a Bible that's so holy that you can't write in it, leave that one at home and make it the Holy Bible. But bring one to church that you can write in. Okay? God wants you to study the word. Esther, the first chapter, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over the 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all of his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the province, of all the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and the glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet. Now you just think, you know, you've just had a banquet for 180 days and now when the 180 days are over, it's time to have, what would you think? Another banquet, of course, it's time for another banquet. <laughs> and so he has another banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all of the people, from the least to the greatest, who were in the citadel of Susa. So this banquet, he's just had one for everybody from all the provinces, all the leaders, all the top brass, all the, you know, and he has 127 provinces. I mean, his kingdom stretches from India all the way to Cush. You know where Cush is? Ethiopia. Tanz uh, up, up in the northern part of Africa. So this is a huge, huge kingdom. And he's got 127 provinces and he's, having 180 days of banqueting and celebrating. And then to top it off, he says, okay, for the citadel, for the, the capital city here of Susa, he says, we're going to bring everybody. It's a party for all of us, and we're going to celebrate. Now, these seven days must have been something. I don't know about you, but after 180 days of partying, those last seven days are either going to be really wild or... I'm going to be a very sick person. Esther chapter 1 verse 7 says, Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant, in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. Yeah, some of you like that, hey? For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Now, this is a very important passage of the part of the scripture because if you'll remember, throughout scripture, you'll see various times where wine is served and usually it's served at the hand of a steward. Remember Jesus, he went to the wedding of Canaan and there was a governor at the wedding and so the governor dispensed the wine and, and it was dispensed in such a way that uh, it wasn't just whatever you drank. In fact, uh, there were rules for drinking. And most of the protocols centered around, uh, one of the protocols was that, like at, a, at the wedding of Canaan, the governor would serve the drinks, 
Okay, but it wasn't a free-for-all. It was, it was governed. Okay. Then there was another case where if you were at the function, there would be a round of drinks given, and everybody had to drink that round of drinks. And if you stopped drinking the round of drinks, you were asked to leave. These are all biblical models. You'll see that if you want to read the scriptures, you'll find out there were all kinds of different rules for drinking. But this case, the king said, in, in accordance with his liberality, he says, hey, the king's wine is as much as you want to drink, whenever you want to drink it, just go for it. I'm not sure that's the best way to drink. Uh, I believe all things in moderation, to be honest with you. But this was the, this was happened to be what was happening. So every man was served whatever he wished. Queen Vashti, the king's queen, his wife, also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes on the seventh day. Now this is coming to the end of this. This, this is the kind of the, the last day of the 180. Now seven more days on the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine. Anybody know what that means? How many of you know that there's things you regret in high spirits sometimes? He commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, and I'm not going to go through their names, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti Refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. Now, that's a pretty innocuous scripture if you don't really read behind it. But many of the rabbis and many of the biblical scholars believe that what he was really saying was, in his drunken stupor, bring the queen with only her crown on. Now, first of all, that's no way to treat a queen or a woman. Boy, ladies, I gave you, I, I throw you a beach ball and I mean, you know. But it's amazing what people do under the influence of alcohol and what they try to get away with. Oh, I was drunk. Oh, I was, we, we had a few too many. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, just tap your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you today. <laughs> I think it was only right for Vashti to refuse. No woman wants to be humiliated. Nobody wants to be the object of somebody's lust. And yet, the king in his drunken stupor got angry. And because Vashti refused, there was a penalty for refusing the king. Back then, the king was the sole decreer of law. And whatever the king declared was called the law of the Medes and the Persians. It could never be revoked. So the king's very upset. 
We see in the 18th verse, he says, This very day the Persian and Median woman of the nobility who heard about the queen's conduct, the, what the king does is he goes and he, he gets his counselors around. He says, what do I do now? He says, Vashti didn't show up. She's humiliated me because I wanted to humiliate her, but she didn't do what I told her to, so now I look bad. Anybody know those feelings? How, how many of you are two wrongs don't make a right sometimes? So he heard about the queen's contact. He says the nobility who have been at this party, everybody will hear about this and they'll respond to all the kings and nobles in the same way. There will be no end of the disrespect and the discord. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of the Medes and the Persians or the, or, or the laws of Persian media, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than her. And when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all this vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. Now, I, I can understand the problem here, don't you? She's disrespected the king and he doesn't want to let her become an example for all the other women to begin to disrespect their husbands. But at the same time, you know, it doesn't seem too fair because he's going to disrespect her. He's going to ask her to appear naked in front of all the men, in front of all the people. That's not how you treat your queen. How many of you know there's different kinds of nakedness? You know, there's men today that uncover their wives. Oh, not their clothes, but their emotions. Ladies, at least have a sharp elbow and nudge him, you know. I mean, come on. This is, this, is, this is the chronic problem in marriage, that men who are meant to protect their wives, men who are meant to protect their women, end up exposing them, uncovering them. Abram, Abram had this problem. He went to... Uh, Pharaoh, he went to Egypt and Pharaoh lusted after his wife and he said, hey, 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 hey. He says, do me a favor. I don't want to die. Just tell him you're my sister. Pharaoh gets so lustful, he takes, because and Abram won't stand up for his wife, he uncovers her to Pharaoh and Pharaoh takes her into his harem. Thank God for an angel. Thank God for God convicting him. because, and, and then he gets angry. He says, why didn't you tell me this was your wife? I could have done something stupid and then I could have been cursed forever. So he gives him all kinds of money. He says, get out of here. I don't want to ever see you again. Now, God works these things for good. Let me tell you something. But let me as men, we have to take our responsibility for our families and for our wives. Amen? Now, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good today. Anyway. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Later when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Now, I don't know what those memories were. I'm not sure if he wasn't just simply regretting the fact that, darn it, you know, I was really a fool there. I, I'm not sure kings did that back then. I know I've had times where I've done that. Hey, I wasn't smart there. Then the king's personal attendants made a proposal. Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. 
Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who's to be, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman, the young woman who pleases the king, be queen instead of Vashti. This advice, advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Well, I think it would appeal to any man. Esther 2, verse 5, the first part of verse 5 and verse 7 says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. That's kind of an amazing statement because Jews are of the tribe of Judah. Okay, Jews are from the tribe of Judah. But it became a generic term back then that these people became because of Judah being taken into captivity and Benjamin, and in fact, all of Israel was taken into captivity, that the Israelites became known as Jews around this time. Okay, now there was in the citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadessah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. She was an orphan. Hadessah was an orphan. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure... Uh, you have to read the Bible. She had a lovely figure. Is there anything wrong with a lovely figure? But it goes on. It says, and she was beautiful. How many of you know there's lots of people that have lovely figures, but they're not beautiful? And how many of you know there's some really beautiful people, but they don't have lovely figures? I'm one of them. Everybody tells me I have a body for radio. <laughs> so Mordecai, her uncle, had taken this little girl, Hadessa, Esther, as his own daughter when his mother and father, when her mother and father had died. Now, let me, let me just touch that thing about uh, beauty. I thought I put a scripture here. Yes. In, in, in 1 Peter it says this. It says, wives, I don't have it for you to, to read, but just listen. Wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, because the fading beauty of a, or the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God. Who, who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. So then he, he goes on and he closes. He says, you are her daughters, the daughters of Sarah. He goes on and he says, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, I, I think that's a powerful scripture. It's in the New Testament talking about how women should adorn themselves. Not fearful. How many of you are afraid because of what is being 
thrust upon us of what a woman should look like. I don't know if anybody can keep up with what the Hollywood and the press and the media and, and all the new magazines and, and uh, the, the supermodels. I mean, wow, even if you did have a nice figure, I'm not sure you could keep up with what they portray as beauty today. But see, God has a different definition of beauty. And God made this little girl, although she had a nice figure, God made her beautiful. There was an inner quality. And I want you to know something. This inner quality is what makes people beautiful. Some of the most beautiful people I know. Some of the most beautiful people you know. It's not their body. It's their inner quality. There's something amazing about people. And, and, and you fall in love with their beauty. That's what happened here, I think, with Esther as well. Although she was beautiful on the outside, she was really beautiful on the inside as well. Now understand, here this Esther is, she's an orphan. When the king's order, verse 8 through 11, Esther 2, verses 8 through 11, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa, put under the care of Hege. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who was in charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Now, I want you to understand, those are powerful words. Some of you must understand, whatever position you're finding yourselves in today, it's God who causes us to be pleasing. It's God who gives favor. This is a recurrent story throughout the Bible. Joseph found favor in Pharaoh's eyes. Daniel found favor in the eyes of not only the, uh, uh, the, the prisoners and the prison guard and Potiphar in his house, but later on, Daniel served four different kings because of the favor of God that was on his life. Everything he touched, his hand, everything his hand touched prospered because of this favor. And, and when you see that word, or when you see this, that's the beauty of God. God makes people beautiful because of the glory of God that works on the inside of you. When you learn how to cooperate with God, something begins to happen in your life. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants to the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now you have to understand something. Mordecai's a very smart guy. If you really want to break this down, Mordecai is a picture of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay? How he guides and he leads the believer. Mordecai's teaching her and says, don't, don't, don't reveal certain things. Keep quiet. How, how many of you know sometimes it's better to be quiet than it is to tell everything you know? Don't tell them that you're a Jew. Don't tell them your background. That was easy for her because she could say, hey, I'm an orphan. They didn't know if she was 
Jewish or Persian? She took her Persian name. She didn't say, my name's Hadessa. She says, Esther. Sometimes you have to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Don't tell all you know. When God starts putting you into positions of prominence and power, don't tell everything you know. Leave some room for God to maneuver. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I think part of the message today is, and I want you to understand this, regardless of who the counselor is or who the elected official is, sometimes some of you have just as much authority or more authority to change situations than the king, than the president. And don't discount what God's doing in your life. Verse 12 says, chapter 2, before a young woman, before her turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments. Sheesh. Prescribed. I'm glad. I mean, my wife, I've had 30 years, 40 years of beauty treatments. That's why she's so beautiful. But I can only imagine the cost of this. She had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh, six months with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. So all these women... They would get their chance to go before the king. And they could take anything they wanted with them from the harem to present themselves before the king. Verse 15 says, when the term came for Esther, that is the young woman that Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of who guarded the doorway, became angry, and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the annals of the presence, in the presence of the king. Now, let me tell you something. Not everything that happens in your life can you understand what that's about. Here, Mordecai, who had some authority because he's in the gate of the king. This is where all business is taking place. And at the king's gate, you don't just sit at the king's gate, you, you know... No beggars are allowed there, I can tell you that. This is, this, is, this is the king's gate. And so he was there by some kind of an appointment. He must have had some status. But he overhears what's going on, and he hears Bigthana and his mate saying, hey, we're upset, we're angry, and they're, and they're plotting to kill the king. And so he goes and he has an inside source. He has somebody he can go to. He goes to the queen. And the queen, Queen Esther, tells the king. The king 
checks it out, and guess what? It's true. It's true. That's a pretty amazing thing, don't you think? And the queen isn't so insecure that she gives Mordecai the credit. Esther 3 and verse 1 through 6 says, After these events, King Xerxes honored a guy named Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving a seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Now, don't you wonder what's wrong with Mordecai? Why wouldn't Mordecai pay honor to this guy? Don't you think that's a little arrogant? Well, let me tell you why he wouldn't do it. Because he was an Agagite, which is an Amalekite. And so here's Mordecai's thinking. He's from the Hebrew roots. He read the Bible. And he says, how can I honor what God has cursed? God had cursed the Amalekites. And he says, I will not honor what God cursed. So he's honoring the word of God in a situation where he's being told to honor a man. Again, this is another story that's played out through the scriptures. There comes a time that you have to make a stand somewhere. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar told three little boys that if you will not bow, you will burn. They said, well, then you're going to have to throw us in the fire because we're not bowing to a false god. Throughout the scriptures, you're going to find issues and you're going to find times that you need to stand. Some of you don't understand that you're not in this life just for your own benefit. There's a time that you must move. It's not about you. It's up to you. And it's not for you. It's for you and for the people of the nation. It's for you and the people of God. It's for you and the, your family. It's for you and the situation we find ourselves in. And if you won't stand for something... I suggest you'll probably fall for anything. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. For he told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is this, why are the Jews so targeted Have you ever wondered why? Well, if you understand the Bible, the Bible said that there would be a lineage. There would be the fruit of a womb, the seed of woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And let me tell you something. The enemy 
throughout the scriptures, the whole story of the Bible is about destroying the seed, trying to keep Jesus the Christ from being born. If we can destroy the Jews, we destroy the seed. If we destroy the seed, there's no chance of redemption for mankind. This is a story of redemption. God, throughout the Bible, the whole story of the Bible is about how God redeemed you and me. And we still have an enemy. There is a devil. Some people don't believe that, but I'll tell you, there is a devil. And he's still out to destroy the seed of woman. You and me, he's out to destroy us. He doesn't want you to know Christ. There's an antichrist spirit in the world today. They don't want you to know Christ. In fact, today people look down their nose. Oh, you, you believe some antiquated religion. While they're running headlong into Satanism. More and more people are practicing a form of Satanism. And it's showing up everywhere. Hollywood. Please, it doesn't take much. It used to be subtle. It's not subtle anymore. When your top shows are talking about cannibalism and they're talking about all kinds of things that are forbidden by God. And they model it. Folks, this is something we have to be aware of. And there comes a time where every Christian and every believer has to stand up and say, no, no, no. I want to be counted with righteousness. I want to be counted with truth. I want to be counted with God. And the dividing line is getting clearer and clearer all the time. Is anybody listening to me? Tap your neighbor say, I think he's talking to you again. So in Esther 3, it says, then, king, then Haman said to Xerxes, King Xerxes. So what happens is Haman gets so upset that he finally takes it in his own hands. He says, you know what? I've got this great honor. I'm the highest of all the nobles. So he meets with the king regularly, and, and, he, and he decides to use some of his influence. And he goes to King Xerxes. Now, I can tell that King Xerxes is not the brightest king. No, you can tell. You can tell. And not all kings are very smart. Not all presidents are very good. They're not all smart, okay? They're president, but they're not all smart. This guy's not smart. I mean, he got rid of Vashti in a drunken stupor, and then he regretted it. But he, that's okay because he had a bunch of virgins. He could pick one. and he, So he chose Esther. He, he got over that. Now he's going to make another mistake. Haman, who he's just appointed comes to him and uses his influence, and people do this. People use their influence for personal gain, personal agendas. He says, there's a certain people dispersed amongst the peoples of all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of the other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. Is this true? No, there's one who does not obey Haman. But he's now generalizing these people, all these people do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the best interest of the king to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, I could just hear these words, the words of the serpent slipping off his tongue as he says these salacious. <laughs> can you hear the hiss of the serpent in this? If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, 
the Amalekite, the, and he, the, the enemy of the Jews. And he said, ah, keep the money. Do with the people as you please. Ooh, I'll bet Haman loved it. Oh, am I going to teach these Jews a lesson? You see, this king is careless. He's trusting a man he just promoted. Esther 4 verse 1 says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, you have to understand something. It was never legal to be seen in sackcloth and ashes before the king. That's why he could go to the king's gate. Mordecai is actually making a statement here. He's going up to the king's gate, he's, but he's not going in because he can't go in. But he's hoping that he's going to get the attention and, and draw this thing out. But it's not working. But he's mourning. Mordecai's pushing the envelope. Because if the king sees you mourning, he could just as easily say, have that guy killed. What's wrong with him? In my, in my kingdom, what's he doing? Esther 4 verse 7 and 8 says this. Mordecai told, so you have to understand, Esther sends her servant. Because she sees Mordecai at the king's gate. What's he doing? What's wrong with him? Now remember, the king doesn't know that Esther knows Mordecai. She just said, she, she did give credit to this guy, Mordecai. But they don't know that they're related yet. So Mordecai told this servant everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So she figured this out. Do you know how much it was? Today it's about 25 million U.S. dollars. He was willing to pay 25 million dollars into the treasury to get rid of these Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told her to instruct, and, and he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for the people. Now, let me, let me just say something here. Never act on hearsay. You know, so many people act on gossip. They act, oh, did you hear? Did you hear? Only to get embarrassed later that, hey, that wasn't really the real story. See, what did he do? He says, I'm not just telling you this. He says, I'm telling you the exact amount of money. I'm giving you the edict. It's in writing here. You know, I, I've watched many of you destroy your businesses. I've watched many people destroy their lives. Destroy their marriages on a little bit of hearsay. I've seen people destroy other people's lives with hearsay. I mean, our church, I've been written up in the newspaper so many times I can't even tell you. And some of it's true. But most of it is just a twist of the truth. Just to slander. Just to make us look like we're doing something wicked or evil. I mean, when they wrote about us and they said that we owed the government $945,000. I mean, that looked bad, didn't it? 
But the truth was that we had been negotiating with the city forever because they were charging for water that we never used because we have our own boreholes. But they just assumed that we could, because we were, we, we have a main to them, but it's off. But no, no, they just assessed a value, $300,000. How many of you know you can't just assess a value? You have to prove that we use that water. But that's okay, because when you're looking for money, you don't have to be scrupulous. You just have to put the name in the newspaper. Shame us into giving you a bribe or paying a bill we don't owe. See, those are the kind of things that, guys, aren't right. But that's what happens in life. Mordecai didn't just go with hearsay. He went with facts. And he says, Esther, he says, you need to go to the king. Because the people's lives depend on it. Can I tell you something? Some of you are in positions of authority and people's lives depend on when you stand up and speak. Kingdom matters. The things of the kingdom of God matter in this nation. There are voices that have come into this country right now that are backed by agendas that are not Zimbabwean. Your voice counts unless you don't speak. But listen to what Mordecai says. Esther 4, verse 11 through 16. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman to approach, this is, this is Esther. She says, I, I want you to know that everybody knows that if you approach the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless, unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their life. She says, but 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. And I, I, I think this is for us. Don't think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And you know this. And, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Man, I, I want you to know, God places us in positions for such a time as this. Oh, sometimes it's not with the king. Sometimes it's not even with government. But sometimes it's to speak on behalf of someone who can't speak for themselves. An orphan. The poor. Sometimes it's to speak on behalf of issues that nobody else can speak to. But God puts you there so you can speak to them. So Esther sends this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast with you as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. You know, I, I want you to know something. There's something about moving and trusting God, but having the attitude that says, I'll take responsibility, and if I perish, I perish. But it's worth it. So Esther, of course, 
does exactly that. She finally gets before the king and she stands. She's, the, the, all the servants love Esther. They say, don't go, don't go. They're trying to beg her not to go to the king. Don't go. They know what's going to happen. They know that he's going to kill her. I mean, this guy is unstable, remember? Remember Vashti? He just promoted Haman. This guy's not stable. This guy is not, a, he, this, this is, this guy's not a good king. This guy's not the smartest guy on the block. Not the sharpest crayon in the box. She finally gets inside the inner court. And the king looks at her. And he extends his scepter to her. What do you want, Esther? If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman, come today to a banquet that I've prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, this wine stuff's amazing. <laughs> I don't know if I would serve this king wine, but Esther seems to know what she's doing. The king asked Esther again, now, what is your petition? And I'll give it to you. And what is your request? Even up to half of my kingdom. Even up to half of my kingdom. I, I mean, hey, wait a minute. We've just gone from zero to hero here. I get half. I mean, this is amazing. Esther replied, by the way, that was a phrase used. Remember Herod, his daughter, his, he was also drunk and his daughter danced in front of him. And he said, in front of all of his guests, not wanting to, you know, he, he said, what would you like, my daughter? She'd been coached by her mother. Give me the head of John the Baptist and a charger. And not wanting to appear to be powerless in front of his guests because he'd offered half the kingdom. He said, okay, bring his head. But he liked John. But, you know, kings get themselves in stupid places. Just tap your neighbor and say, politicians are stupid sometimes. Even up to half my kingdom. Esther replied, my petition, now, this is a crazy request, and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet that I will prepare for them. Now, wait a minute, we're having a banquet. This is a banqueting society. Let me tell you something. All right, come tomorrow to another banquet. Well, the king's in the banquets. I, we know that. He had 180 of them and then another seven on top of that. So I guess this is part of his, I guess he likes this. He says, then I will answer the king's question. Now, let, me, let, me, let me give you a little thing I see here. If that was me, if I was Esther, I would have just done business right now. But the Bible teaches, it says, the servant of the Lord must not make haste. Sometimes you just have to be careful, trust God, don't tell all you know, be prayerful. Hey, listen, this is, after all, a matter of life and death. If it doesn't happen today, it may happen tomorrow, but let's not rush into it. Let's, okay, God, we're going to give you room here. So listen to what happens. We're going to go quickly now, and I'm going to close. Esther chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. Haman went out that day happy. And in high spirits. 
But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways that the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and all the other officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person that Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to his banquet that she just gave. And she has invited me again tomorrow to be with the king. But listen to this. Wouldn't you think that he's on a good wicket? Wouldn't you think this is amazing? It's amazing to me how greed, how selfishness, how sinfulness eats at the heart of a person. Because listen to what it says. He says, but this is Haman speaking. He says, but none of this gives me satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. Now this is the kind of wife you want. His wife Suresh and all of his friends said to him, these are great friends, well, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. That's great. Yeah, just, get him, just have him impaled on the pole 100 feet high. So he hangs out and his guts spill out. And, and, and then go enjoy yourself. Yeah, this, after you do that, then you'll be able to enjoy yourself. I mean, these are great friends and this is a great wife. And the Bible says this suggestion delighted Haman. And he had the pole set up. 50 cubits is between 90 and 100 feet. You know, somebody's going to see this thing being erected in your backyard. You put a pole up in your backyard 100 feet high. Somebody's going to see that. Why are you doing this? You know, it's out in the open. Well, let me tell you something. There's things that you and I do that we, be, we may be preparing our own gallows. Don't let your heart devise a wicked plan. Hey. I got one hey. Do I hear two? <laughs> yeah, okay. Look at verse, chapter 6 and verse 1. That night, I, 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 now this is where it gets interesting because you know what? Don't ever rule out God getting involved. That, that, this is what happens. God starts getting involved in our situations. That night the king couldn't sleep. I wonder who kept him up. So he ordered the book of the chronicles of the record of his reign. To be brought and read to him. Oh, that's light reading. That's nice. That's bed. That'll put you to sleep. Yeah, come and read to me. The, the, the record of the rule of my reign. Isn't it amazing? And it was found recorded there that Mordecai just, you know, just happened to turn to this page. Had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Hmm. Hmm. King Xerxes says, uh, what 
honor or what recognition has Mordecai received for this? Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. I'll tell you, you never know who's being kept awake for you. By God or by his angels or by the Holy Spirit. You never know who's reviewing your case on your behalf. I think God's setting somebody up for promotion this morning. I think God just might be setting one of you up for promotion. Yeah, you don't know it, but they're reviewing your case right now as we speak. They couldn't sleep all night, and, and the, the company records are being re read. Somebody's reporting. I, I don't know what it is, but I just sense that. You know what I'm talking about. So when Haman entered, you have to understand, the king says, well, who's here? Who's, who's in the palace? And it just so happened that Haman just showed up. <laughs> Impeccable timing. Impeccable. I just love it. And so when Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? Now, Haman thought to himself, be careful when you think to yourself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So, the, so he answered the king, well, for the man that the king delights to honor, me, uh, have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn, so that they know that it's something that you like, and a horse that the king has ridden, and put one of the, bring, bring, bring one of the horses with the royal crest on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man that the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse throughout the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. You know, the, the Bible's full of this story too. Do you remember Jesus tells the parable of the man who sits in the high seat and the guest and the, uh, and the, and the host comes in and says, oh, geez, uh, you know, actually that's reserved for somebody else. Would you? <laughs> and then the guy on the lowly seat, he says, oh, he says, why are you sitting down here? Come on up here. I've got a better seat for you. Uh, there's something about humility that goes a long way with God, okay? There's something God hates about pride. Anyway, the story goes on. It gets better. The king, go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, I'll tell you, Haman's good day. He's having a bad day all of a sudden. Do not neglect anything that you've commanded. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai, led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done. I don't think he said it that way. I'll bet he said it this way. It said he proclaimed it. All right, this is what is done for the man that the king delights to honor. Afterward, now listen to what happens. Afterward, afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. 
This was no biggie for Mordecai. Thank you. God bless you. But Mordecai, I think he says, hey, I don't know what's going on here, but I see God in this. There's something going on here. We're, we're, we're being threatened to be annihilated, and I'm being traipsed around by the guy who hates me. There's something cooking here. I, I don't think this is man. This got to be God. So he just returns to the king's gate. But what does Haman do? Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all of his friends everything that had happened to him. Now listen, his advisors and his wife prophesied to him. He, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. What a wife. What friends. Prophesy. Prophesy. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to Queen, to queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, <laughs> this wine stuff. Guys, I'm going to tell you, nothing good comes when you drink too much wine. I can promise you that. And when they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to the half of my kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely just been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. Because no such distress would justify disturbing you, the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? How many of you know you might be having a bad day when the king is asking these kind of questions and you're the only other person in the room? <laughs> Esther said, an adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman. Hey, then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The king got up in a rage. Now, you know this guy has a bad temper. You know what happened to Vashti? Eh? The king got up in a rage, left his wine. Now that's serious. When the king leaves his wine, we got a problem here. And he went to the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg the queen, Queen Esther, for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banqueting hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. It couldn't get worse. It did. It got lots worse. And the king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she's with me in my house? <laughs> oh. As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Uh, that's a, not a good sign. 
Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, just happened to make a comment. He says, you know, uh, there's a pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits. Stands in Haman's backyard. He set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to the king. You know, this king is impulsive. I'm telling you, he's just impulsive. You, you can never trust the king. These kings, you know, they, and especially if he's had a little bit of wine, he says, impale him on it. Impale him on it. Go do it right now. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Mm. Don't mess with God. Don't mess with his kids. Let me, let me, let me, let me just explain something. Your secrets are never safe. Don't act in arrogance. You're going to be found out. Don't act against the people of God because he's a just judge. He's a just judge. You know, I wouldn't want to be a politician today and be saying things about my relationship with God if they weren't true. You know, God judges what you say. The words of these men are going to be held in the balance. The voice of God is the voice of God. Just saying. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman. That's almost half the kingdom, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had now told him how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king falling at his feet and weeping. Now this is the third time that Esther is risking her life. And if you read this, he extends his scepter a third time and she begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the golden scepter to Esther and she rose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it right, the right thing to do, and if, it please, if he's pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see destruction on my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now, write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as it seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his signet ring can be revoked. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and to protect themselves, to destroy, kill, annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and their children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. Now, let me tell you the story. The Jews did defend themselves. 
the Bible says that they sent these dispatches by the horses of the king. Haman's dispatches had gone out by foot soldiers, by footmen. These are now being overtaken by the horses of the king, the king's horses. This is a major decree. The Jews defend themselves. They kill 500 and then another 300 people in the city of Susa who came out to kill them. They killed 75,000 people. But the Bible says this. It says they never took any of the plunder. Now, I don't know if they remembered King Saul who had taken the plunder that was... But these people weren't interested in the plunder. They're not interested. They were interested in what was right. They were interested in their lives and in the lives of their families and their friends. Folks, I want you to know something. Politicians will offer you a lot of plunder. But I'm going to ask you to think about doing what's right. Standing up for what's right. Because if our nation would really be who we say we are, really be Christian, we could turn the tide. This could become a great nation. But if we go for the plunder, I'm afraid we may get what we want and not want what we get. The book closes and it says, when Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict came, there was joy and gladness amongst the Jews and feasting and celebration. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because the fear of the Jews had seized them. We know this is the feast of Purim, P-U-R-I-M, Purim. The word pure is a Persian word, means lot. It came from the fact that Haman had cast lots to find out what day to kill all the Jews. And God turned that which was meant for evil, for good, for his people. And because of Esther, they knew that it wasn't about them, it was up to them. And because of Mordecai, it was turned from an evil day to a good day. Today, Purim is celebrated even amongst the Jews. It's a time of gift giving, a time of thanksgiving for what God did in sparing his people. I want you to know, when you and I align ourselves with the kingdom of God, when we align ourselves with kingdom principles, kingdom feasts, and God's purposes in the earth, he will also see, and his hand is not short to move on your behalf. His hand is not short to touch what touches you. He has angels that move on our behalf. His Holy Spirit moves on our behalf. These things are real. Esther 10, verse 1 says, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to the distant shores. And all of his acts of power and all of his might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai. <laughs> Amazing. This guy goes from a guy at the city gate to having his name written his acts of, all of the king's acts of power might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai whom the king had promoted. Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent amongst the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because the work for the good of his people and that he spoke up for the welfare of all Jews. Let me, let me, let me just close with this thought. 
for us as we go into these elections, as we think about what God's doing. I really believe that this is the season that God is raising up Daniels, Josephs, Moseses. None of these guys were the number one leader. They were always those who influenced number one. They were always those who influenced others. Some of you don't understand the power of influence. It's not always being number one. It's not always getting elected. Sometimes our elected officials are not that great. But God puts you next to them to influence them for good. You know, they're going to be influenced. Every politician gets influenced. But I believe that they'll be influenced for the kingdom if you're like Mordecai, if you're like Esther, and are not afraid to speak, not afraid to take your place and say, no, 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 no. It's not about me, but it is up to me. I must take my rightful role, my rightful place. I must be a voice of influence, not for myself, not so I can have, get personal gain. You may get personal gain out of it. Usually God does reward those that stand for the kingdom, that stand for him. But even if he didn't, you're speaking on behalf of truth, life. You're speaking on behalf of others. I know some people, some of you here, you never think about anybody but yourself. What's in it for me? That's not the kingdom of God. Paul says, consider others above yourself, preferring one another. There's got to be an attitude that changes in our nation. We can't just get what's in it for me. It's got to be what's best for our nation, what's best for all. You have the power of influence. This is a very influential church. You're very influential people. But it can't be about you. It's got to be up to you. It's got to be up to you. And if you'll move on behalf of the kingdom, if you'll move on behalf of what God puts in your spirit, God will help you. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.